Blackwater, the Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, the Flying Tigers, the Swiss Guard, the White Company, the Knights Templar, the Varangian Guard, Clerkus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, and Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, guns for hire, soldiers of fortune, private military companies, private security contractors, dirty deeds done not so dirt cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They've been around for a very long time and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. So you better get used to it, grow up and accept it or move to another planet. Because in this world, folks, money trumps everything. And like it or not, wars are good for business. And pandemics? As if the only pandemic being hyped is an actual thing. Folks, the only thing hurting anyone is the pandemic of the ignorant, the gullible, and the blindly obedient. History tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means of oppression and tyranny than by any other means. Oppression and tyranny, folks, money, profits and propaganda, call it psychological operations or call it psychological conditioning, you are being gaslit. So remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothills of northwestern Washington State, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. So, life as a private security contractor in a hostile, a war-torn zone, or a non-permissive environment, <laughs> however you want to call it, folks. It is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good, some not so good. All in all though, private security contracting is much the same as life. It is what you make it. So then, the Middle East, lands of enchantment, lands of mystery, lands of the ancient ones, myths, legends, folklore, baby. If you believe what you read in the ancient and the holy texts, then you know that it all centered around what we refer to as the MENA region, or the Middle East North Africa region. Yep, that's right folks, the Mediterranean. So then, life as a private security contractor overseas, or as some call it, an expat. Now what is an expat? Well, an expat, that's an interesting term. <laughs> You can look it up. I mean, it's not like there's any great secret to it, but uh, it's an abbreviated portion from expatriate. Okay, and how that uh, refers to, say, people that are working in private security. Uh, typically, you get called that, but it really technically doesn't come into play until you've been away from your home country, um, out in a foreign land for on or around approximately one year's time or the 12 month mark. Now, does it have to be consecutive? Probably not, but that's typically where the true expat comes in. So 
That's not to say that you aren't, but if you're not there for a year, but I'm just saying that most people are not truly an expat or an expatriate until they've been away from their home in a foreign country for approximately at least one year. And the longer, of course, uh, the more of an expat you become. And there's all kinds of things that go into being an expat, not the least of which is taxes. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a lot of things before I transition into the stuff about Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you know, because it applies pretty much in any country. If you're an American, now it's probably different if you're Brit, uh, probably not a whole lot different, but there, you know, I'm sure there are some differences. Or if you're from Australia or Africa or any other country, I mean, your tax laws in your home country may or may not apply to the tax laws in the country that you're working. Conversely, vice versa. <laughs> okay. And don't be surprised if you end up getting what we called double dipped. Okay. So you're paying taxes, not only your home country, but you're paying taxes frequently in the foreign country. It just depends on the arrangement, or as some folks called it, <laughs> the level of corruption. So, uh, because for uh, some of these countries, when we started working there originally, we didn't have to pay taxes because they don't tax. I mean, let's, let's, let's face it. In the Muslim community, the Quran forbids such things. And it's not the only holy book that talks about taxation. Okay, But that is a huge thing. And here's something that a lot of people aren't prepared for. Now, they've come to know it now. You live in state X. You do some instruction and training for that company that hired you in state Y. So you're paying taxes in state X. You're also paying taxes in state Y in addition to paying any other foreign overseas taxes you're paying. All right. You are liable for these taxes. Now, the caveat is still to this day, if you remain outside your home country, at least as it applies to America, not sure about Canada and the other countries. Okay. But as an American resident citizen, if you stay outside that home country for a year, well, I think it's actually 330 days. So out of the 365-day calendar year, if you stay out of your home country for 330 days out of that 365-calendar year, the, tax, the money you earned is tax-free. That is, it's exempt from the taxes in the U.S. that you would normally have to pay. Now, there's all kinds of creative ways you can go about staying out of your home country for 330 days out of the year. Some of us have done that. Maybe a lot of us have done that and probably still are. And at times, some of us just, we don't care anymore. We're making enough money. We want to be home. We want to see the green, green grass of home and all the other things that go along with it. Not to mention the fact that it does kind of get a little spendy, especially if you're married with children and all the baggage that goes along with it, if you're constantly gallivanting and uh, sightseeing uh, rather than going home. So because the company or the organization you work for will typically uh, pay your round trip airfare. So your flight from state X to wherever you're working, regardless of how many places you work outside the continental U.S., and then your flight back. So they'll typically pick up that. that you don't got to worry about that. Uh, <clears throat> lodging uh, frequently. Not always. 
Uh, depends on the company you work for. Again, the contract um, and whether they like you or not. I mean, let's face it. You know, you've heard me talk about friends, friends, friends. And sometimes they don't necessarily have to be a friend. They just have to like you and or view you as a good dude or do that. Okay. So um, for all those people out there that, that are, you know, they're behind the eight ball on the taxes, just remember Unless you stay out of the United States of America, the continental U.S., for at least 330 days, you're going to pay taxes. You're liable for it. So find yourself a good tax accountant that knows the ins and the outs. I mean, and they know the IRS rules and laws as they pertain to that, as well as your home state, because you still have to pay those taxes as well. Now, the continental U.S., technically Alaska and Hawaii are outside the continental U.S., but my guess is, and I don't know because I'm not a, um, a tax consultant or advisor, but my guess is is that if you are a citizen that resides in either one of those two states, you're probably going to be liable for taxes as well. Again, there are plenty of people out there that are up to speed on this stuff, and it would behoove you. I knew a number of guys that would pay five or $10,000 to have somebody just take all the receipts, do all the mathematic additions and subtractions and everything they got to do, and here you go. Done. It's over. Some of us, on the other hand, while we were considering that, we've got wives that have that whole European blood in them, and they say, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of it. I don't want to spend that money. Well, um, you know, penny, penny wise, you know how that saying goes, right? Anyway, now, another interesting tidbit about that that often gets overlooked um, is that if you truly are an independent contractor, okay, so you're hired on a W-9. If you're not a W-2 employee, tax laws are different for W-2 employees. As a W-9 independent contractor, which um, I believe I was all, with the exception of that one contract, the first contract in Kuwait, all my other contracts, I was a W-9 independent contractor, did a 1099 at the end of the year. So where I'm going with that, folks, if you save your receipts, anything that can legitimately qualify as a business purchase, okay, we were able to write off. It's a legitimate legitimate business expense, whether it's apparel, equipment, gear, you name it, okay? If it's a legitimate business expense, we itemized it, let my wife, you know, she did all that. I just kept the receipts and gave them to her. Uh, so, you know, it's that old saying, um, I, I make the money, she pays the bills. So, yeah, I, I might be the guy that's that's out there making the money, but ultimately she pays the bills, so she kind of kind of rules the roost there, right? Uh, I may be the king of the domain, but at home, the wife rules. Okay, let's just be honest, guys. Let's get it out there. Let's quit lying about it. Okay, if you're in a truly, if you're in a marriage that works, <laughs> okay, the wife controls the house usually. That's the way it goes. It does with mine, and that's fine. I don't got a problem with that. She keeps a great house, um, and I do my share of it anymore these days, uh, although there's a lot of people that would argue with that. <laughs> anyway, so again, as a W-9 independent contractor, and you usually, if not always, see that language somewhere 
in the paperwork, in the contract that you sign, that you are an independent contractor. So what else does that mean? Well, unlike a W-2 employee, okay, you do the W-2, and then at the end of the year, you fill out the W-4, okay, so W-2 employees typically have more quote-unquote employment protections than a W-9 slash 1099 person, okay, independent contractor, the life is great if you understand it, and you can handle it, and you can work within the confines of being a W-9 I mean, it's it's a wonderful way to go because you can just get up and walk away anytime you want and go wherever you want. They got nothing on you. There's nothing they can do to hold you down. Okay. Now, that's not to say, and we saw this play out over the years, and, and a lot of you probably know what I'm talking about. And I don't remember the terms that'll come to me, but because uh, a lot of guys would jump in contract, okay, going from one contract to the next. They were here and there for one month, here and there for three months. And you know what I'm talking about. It costs these companies a lot of money because, let's face it, um, after the cost plus contract started going away, starting around 2008, 2009, when those started to go away, um, it became even more expensive. Companies were, con- were now even more concerned about it. Uh, the war wasn't raging the way it was. Okay? There wasn't that huge driving demand for personnel. Okay? So they, became a, they started becoming more selective. Uh, and they started uh, banding together, for lack of a better term, and saying, hey, you know what? We know each other. We've worked together, whatever. We've served together. We may be working for different companies now. But Joe Schmo over here, he's not a, he's not a schmuck necessarily, but uh, he was on a one-year contract, and after three months, now he's canceled it, and he wants to go to your contract because your contract pays him $1,000 a month more. So, uh, and some of you, maybe a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you ran into that. Maybe you knew people that did. And, you know, I remember learning very early on, and I'd heard this before earlier in my life, but over there, I heard it pretty, they, you know, it was like, hey, look, man, you know, I'm not going to jump contract for 500 to to $1,000 a month. Are you kidding? You know, all the stuff you got to go through. Um, and, and, you know, if you were in country already, there was a time, and I think they, they, they stopped it for a short time or, or it was frowned upon and they went back to it. But if you were in country already, uh, usually you could s- jump over uh, maybe a little admin time in country for a few days or a week or two, but you didn't have to do that round trip thing and you didn't really lose money, so to speak. You kind of did, but not really. But what they started doing is you ended up, at least a lot of companies, you had to fly home, um, you had to redo everything, and then fly back. Uh, so for $500 to $1,000 a month, it, it's really not all—it's not worth all the hoopla you got to go through. Now, if we're talking $3,000 to $5,000 a month more, and, 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 and even more, then, you know, you got to start looking at it and saying, well, you know, just how much do I like working for this company? How much do I like this project? How much do I like this contract? How much do I like working in the area that I'm working? You know, you just go through and you add everything up and you do your little math thing and you say, yep, it's time for me to go. Uh, at least for me, that's usually the way it worked. Um, so, you know, $3,000 a month was my minimum baseline threshold as to whether I was going to go to another contract. Because as I've said before, hey, look, I wasn't in for it necessarily for the money only. Um, you know, at least initially I was kind of ideal about you know, uh, about the whole thing. I had my notions. Uh, and I still did, e- even through the all the years. And I still do. Um, you know, the patriotic thing, wanted 
want to help Uncle Sam, want to do right for the country, want to help other people, yada, yada, yada. But again, ultimately, I left my happy career at home. I left my family, and, and I'm leaving all this stuff. So I might as well make the most of it. And since we live in a materialistic world, I make no qualms about that. You've probably heard me say that before. I mean, money is important. It's not the only thing in life, but it is important. So again, $3,000 a month was my minimum baseline. If it wasn't at least $3,000 a month more, it's like, why? I mean, really. Now, the one or two times that, that other things came into play were the project and or the contract that I was looking at that people were asking me about or recruiting me for. Okay, because I looked at the potential. What does that potential, what does that have for me potentially three, six, nine, 12 months down the road? Will that lead to other bigger and better things or does it have the potential to do that? Okay, so you, you know, everybody, you have to make your choice. You make the decision as to what's right for you. But the days of jumping around for 500 to a thousand dollars a month, as far as I know, they're gone. And I don't think anybody wants those kinds of guys around anymore. Anyway, um, you know, there was a time when, and I've, I don't know, I'm guessing it started probably around 2011, 2012, when, as I've said before, we started seeing a lot of people creeping in, getting through the cracks that had no business there. They shouldn't have been there. Uh, and that lasted for a number of years. And from what I hear, it's still there, still around. Um, whether it's more or less than it used to be, I really don't know because I don't have any direct hand knowledge. It's all hearsay. Second, usually it's almost secondhand knowledge. Somebody I know that I'm talking with and I hear it. Um, but that, again, folks, as a W-9 independent contractor, in my opinion, if you're going to work on a contract outside the continental U.S., especially as a private security contractor, that is hands down the way to go. There are so many benefits and, and in my opinion, so few negatives. I mean, why not take advantage of it? But you got to be privy or wise to what it means to be truly a W-9 independent contractor, which means you got to have either the knowledge yourself or someone that you know that you trust to take care of all the money matters to go along with it. So money matters aside, uh, once you get beyond that and you're looking at life in a foreign country, as I've said before, at least I think I have, uh, but it doesn't hurt to, to touch upon it again. Remember that you're a visitor. Um, it's like I've told, uh, it's not an uncommon refrain when I'm working security, even here in the States, and I'm talking with other people that have their heads squarely screwed down on their shoulders, whether it's private security or police. And, you know, they're like, oh, hey, you know, sorry, pardon me. You know, I see you got this. You got it. It's like, hey, man, don't worry about it. This is your turf. I'm a visitor. I've on, I'm only here short term. You live and breathe here. So don't worry about it. It's yours. Uh, you can come here anytime you want. Same thing in the foreign country. You got to remember, you're in a foreign country. Call yourself a foreign national, whatever you want to call it. You're not a citizen. And even if you do get a citizenship status, Remember, you're still not one of them, okay? Now, at some point in the future, generations of yours might be looked upon that way, but there's a lot of countries outside the U.S. that if your blood doesn't go back a certain length of time in history, okay, you're not one of them and you never will be. So here or there, remember, you're a foreigner, you're visiting, you're there to work, okay? 
Go out and have fun on the economy when you can, if it allows, if you can do such things. Again, it depends on where you're at and the tempo and other things. So, you know, in Kuwait, obviously, there were plenty of opportunities to go out and enjoy all the stuff that Kuwait had to offer. And it has a lot to offer. Not just Kuwait, pretty much all the countries along that part of the peninsula, um, all the way down to Saudi Arabia. Um, some are more restrictive than others, but, you know, there's a lot to offer, a lot of sights to see. Um, and, you know, been there, seen it, done it. You know, at some point, it's kind of like, you know what? I'm six months into this thing. Um, I really, you know, I'd rather have my day off and rest and spend time with the family on Skype and get ready for the next day rather than going out and spending time and money on, on the taxi cabs and, and all the shopping and everything else you do. Uh, but, and again, depending on where you are, because there's plenty of jobs out there where the economy, are you kidding me? There is no economy. <laughs> But we call it going on the economy when you go into town. So we go into town and, you know, it, it just there's some place, actually a lot of places uh, that, you know, going out for sightseeing, um, it should be done with the utmost of discretion. Um, have those conversations with plenty of guys. And some of you, maybe a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's, it, it's OK when you're being paid to go out there and do it. But when you're not, eh, you might want to just stay in your hooch. So. Other things to consider as a expat, uh, contractor in a foreign country, uh, I saw and heard a fair amount of it, uh, more of it in Kuwait. <laughs> I mean, there are just so many wannabes in Kuwait at every level uh, with all these companies out there. But, you know, everybody, and you've heard it and you've probably seen it yourself. I remember this one dude I met on a job here in the States some years ago. And he was a big, thick dude. I mean, looked like a power lifter, but he, was, he wasn't cut. He wasn't lean, but he wasn't, you know, fat either. I'm just a big, it's like, damn, man, what'd you do? You know, did you blow on your thumb or blow yourself up? And uh, we, got it, we got along kind of okay. Um, but he made the comment that, yeah, you know, every time I walk up to some guys, they always stick their chest out and take a deep breath, you know. And it's like, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I've seen that. Um, that's kind of what I'm talking about. And, and they want to go out there and, and act all bad. And, uh, you know, they talk about throwing down and getting in fights. It's like, no, 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 man. You, remember, you're in a foreign country. Okay. not um, If you've got diplomatic exemptions, maybe, um, if you've got some friends in really high places, that might work for you. But, I mean, let's be real. You're, you know, just stop that, okay? Your whole thing, just like when you're working, is to minimize, mitigate, whatever you want to call it, the risk, the threat, and go around it, under it, or whatever. Just avoid it, okay? Besides, you want to go out and have a good time. Going out and having a good time is not going out like it is here at home and getting drunk and throwing down at the local bar. Not going to work very far. We've seen guys get arrested for all kinds of stupid stuff. Um, I mean, you can get arrested. At least I, I remember guys getting detained and almost arrested for taking a license plate, of all things, from a vehicle and trying to get that home. And it was found in their baggage, their luggage, their, not the carry-on necessarily, the check baggage. Yeah, they checked this stuff pretty well. Um so, I mean, it's, you know, it, you're not really going to hide anything. And I know a lot of people, you know, thought they were going to get away with hiding stuff. It's like, really? These people at the airports have seen it all. Uh, they know what to look for, um, and they're, they're going to find it. So, 
um, unless you're just a super uber spook um, that has some trade craft that maybe others, you know, and access to resources that we don't, you know, it's like, nah, it ain't going to happen. So get real. And, and bear in mind that as a private security contractor, especially an American private security contractor, most countries outside the U.S., which is every country, pretty much don't like private security contractors. It's not just Hillary Clinton. Okay, There's plenty, probably nearly every country doesn't like private security contractors coming into their country and, and snooping and messing around. Okay, So they, and I had plenty of my run-ins, you know, being tripped up or held up, uh, kind of quasi-detained here and there, one thing or another, while they're checking into things. That happens a lot. Um, you know, if you, if you do this long enough, it's just going to happen. And sometimes just because they've seen you enough times coming and going. And, and uh, you know, whatever. So whatever they're thinking about you, when they see you coming and going, when they're looking at your passport, okay, <clears throat> and, and they're looking through your luggage and they're seeing where you came from and where you're going and one thing or another, uh, there's a lot of things that go into determining whether or not they're going to hassle you. I tell you what, some of my biggest dumbest can't believe it hassles were in america going through american airports so you know whatever they were thinking about me as a private security contractor i mean you know <laughs> i'm just saying just understand that as a private security contractor it's that part of it probably hasn't changed much if it's changed at all so you know again the way you carry yourself the way you respond in these situations can determine to a great extent whether you stay there for a protracted period of time or you get home in short, smooth, sweet order. Uh, so pretty much like anybody anywhere, uh, in addition to whatever else they might, they might be thinking of themselves, uh, you know, they're they're on their home turf. They're doing their job on their home turf and you're a foreigner. So, you know, just bite your tongue, you know, bide your time. Enjoy the ride, uh, mind your P's and Q's, and you'll probably be just fine, okay? Get a feel for the local customs and one thing or another and how people do things. You'll be fine. I mean, trust me, they know you're not from there. They know <laughs> you don't belong there, okay? So you're not getting away with anything, okay, if that's what you're thinking. Uh, one of the biggest things that I found was a huge advantage, and years later, find out how much of an advantage it was. Um, it's one of a great many things that you learn uh, to kind of stay off the radar or at least keep a lower profile. So you got what we used to call a world phone. Call them whatever you want now, but um, where you can truly take a SIM card from any country you're in, pop yours out, pop that one in, and you're off and running, Okay. So just like when I was traveling, and this came up in a discussion with a guy that I worked with here recently, it's just like when I'm traveling, and there's been some projects where they wanted us to turn on our phones. Um, and some of you probably know why they would want us to, you know, not have our phones uh, with us when we're working. Uh, but so you, you would take, I would take the, I would take the SIM card and the battery out of my phone. From the moment I went wheels up in the States until I got to the end point wherever I was traveling. And then I would take that 
country SIM card that I had already purchased and, and had renewed, or if it was a place I hadn't been before, go get a new one, pop everything back in, and I'm off and running. Now, the smarter thing to do, and you probably know a lot of people are probably doing this now, and you've heard the term burner phones, whatever you want to call them. Okay, so you get yourself a cheap phone that works, that works well, and uh, you uh, buy it here, buy it over there. It's probably better just to buy it over there. Okay, it's an expendable. See, just one that functions and does everything you need. So the phone is there, the SIM card is there, the battery is there. Okay, and if you're going to be there, you're just going home for a month or two and you're going back, you could leave it there, just pull everything out, turn everything off. Okay, but you don't travel back and forth with it. And I think I don't need to go into any explanation as to why that sort of thing is something that guys like me would do. And I'm sure plenty of you do it or know people that have. It makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, traveling tips. There's all kinds of travel tips. And I don't have enough time in the day right now to talk about them all. Um, but these are just, you know, smart looking over your shoulder, you know, being aware of your surroundings, being smart traveler, um, you know, setting yourself up for success as opposed to blithely going around setting yourself up for possible failure which happens a lot and uh the other thing <laughs> i gotta bring this up because you know you've probably heard me talk about this before but the sheer number of jason borns out there is absolutely staggering i worked with a fellow here recently um on a small short-term job uh, and he was telling me a story about a gal that he hired because he thought she was so fascinating and so interesting. And this is not the first time I've heard this about a woman. I've been hearing more about it in the past two or three years. Plenty of them out there about guys. Um, and just tell me this wonderful, fantastic story about her. Uh, the term he used was dipping out. She dipped out, went to Syria when that was a thing, and somehow found her way in the underground, going through the tunnels and slitting throats and this, that, one thing, another. Um, and then about a year later, you know, gets kind of hemmed up a little bit in Greece, but somehow makes her way out through the good graces of the State Department. <laughs> All right, look, folks, I'm here to tell you, um, because I, I don't know this gal personally, but I've had conversations with her. And through other conversations I've had, okay, I'm telling you, you don't take a person that's got absolutely no background, not even an infantry, okay, they, got, they don't have anywhere near that level of instruction and training, and they just dip out, they just disappear, they go AWOL, they show up in another country a thousand miles away, slitting throats underground, and a year later, the State Department lets them, it's like, come on, man, give me a break, do you really believe that? <laughs> okay. So there's, there's plenty of people I've worked with, got to know, worked for over the years that I don't associate with, don't work with anymore, don't work for anymore because of all those horseshit, black ops, you know, Jason Bourne stories. It's like, no, no. I'm telling you, every single one that I've heard has always been proven to be false. <laughs> and I've met, a, I've met them all. Uh, I think the first ones I started hearing about was back in 2003 when I was here at home. It's like, oh, my goodness. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, uh, folks, that just doesn't happen. That's, that's the movies, okay? I mean, it, it does happen, but the person that does it is 
well, they're a trained killer, okay? I mean, they've got the background. They've got the instruction. They've got the training, and they have the experience, okay? So there are people that are out there doing that sort of stuff. That, again, falls back to the hitman mercenary kind of thing. That's a whole different thing, okay? Otherwise, almost every single one of them is just horse caca, so I won't, <laughs> I won't go on any further about that. But I've just, man, to this day, it never ends. I mean, and, and the people that, yeah, I worked for this company. I worked for that company. You know, it's always here in the U.S., even if it's along the borders. And they make it up to sound like this, that one thing. It's like, yeah, okay, you and how many other people work for them. So what? That's all you've done? Give me a break. Come back and talk to me and try to sell me. Once you've been outside off the postcard tour for a protracted period of years, then we can start talking. Otherwise, shut up and go work for the Paul Blart companies. So, okay. So to wrap it up, um, again, talking about contracting overseas. And again, you're a private security contractor. They come to know you because they've seen you. Even if they don't know you specifically, um, somehow you're in the system, right? Um, it's happened a number of times. Uh yeah, it's going to take weeks and months for this thing to go through. Go down to the office, uh, do my thing, and within hours, it's done. It's over with. I'm in the system. I mean, I'm there. They know. Okay. So my point here, and this is the last one before we put a wrap on it, what I'm talking about, hating private security contractors, okay, and all these people, even here in the U.S., whatever they're thinking, that whatever's going through their mind, to think that you're a viable threat, okay, Going through, and I'll say it, SeaTac Airport on a flight out, okay? I had just gone to the range two days before going there, okay? I had cleaned out my backpack, and I found three shell casings, and I put them up on the shelf in the closet. Next day, <clears throat> as I'm packing things up, making last-minute checks before we drive to the airport, unbeknownst to me, my wife noticed those and thought, and I think she had a bullet, I think it was a bullet or two even that hadn't been expended. But she thought that for whatever reason I needed it. Okay, now this is earlier on, but she puts it in my backpack. Go through the, you know, put my baggage up, put everything through there. It goes down the treadmill. I come out the other side. I'm thinking everything's fine. Sir, is this your backpack? Yeah, of course, you know it is. <laughs> okay, um, can you explain this? <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, um, uh, Yes and no. <laughs> I didn't know it was there, and I explained it to him what I, what I already said. Um, now, whatever the guy was thinking, who knows? Well, sir, can you stand over here for a moment for me, please? Yeah, sure, whatever. Okay. And I like, uh, great. <clears throat> and he's rifling through everything. Wants to look up my CAC. Wants to look up. I show him my LOA. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'd say 12 to 13 guys <clears throat> in addition to him come around and they encircle me like a like a like a wagon i mean they just encircle me i'm like and this is just outside the uh, all all the hardware that they have when you're when you're going through security so i haven't even left that area yet okay they pushed me off to the side and they've circled me and along comes a port of seattle police uh it took about five minutes for him to get there and this whole time i'm thinking to myself really guys seriously <laughs> I'm showing you everything. You see my passport. You know everything's legit. Come on, man. Take the bullets, the shell casings, whatever. Okay, nothing. You've gone through everything. Okay. I mean, anyway. So this cop shows up. 
He glances at the paperwork, glances at me. This goes on two, three, four times. Finally just kind of nods at me, turns around and walks off. <laughs> I don't remember the security company. It was TSA, but, you know, anyway. And the look on his face was priceless. He had to let me go, but he, not without giving me the fear of God, okay? The last things he said to me was, well, you know, I got to turn this in, and, uh, you know, you'll probably get a letter, and you, you may even have to pay a fine. Okay, great. Is that it? Thanks. See ya. <laughs> I mean, so I'm just saying, folks, it's not just outside our home country. If you're a private security contractor, and the longer you do it, the more baggage you rack up, okay? And the more chances there are for them to trip you up. Now, the, the, the way you can get about that, the, usually the guys that get around that are the guys that are on the special projects, including stuff with the State Department, because you usually have um, the, the, the diplomatic passports. Um, it's not the same as the ambassador has, but you know, so those things can expedite. But if you're not one of those, <clears throat> um, or you, you know, if you're not going through furtive airports and you're not expedited, um, I mean, there are ways to get expedited. Once you get to know enough people and they get to know you, um, they can help you, you know, get through things because they know that you're not a problem, but you go through airports where they don't know you. Yeah. Anyway. So <laughs> just remember as a private security contractor, there's these things and so much more, okay? So call it representing, whatever you want to call it. Mind your P's and Q's. Be a good dude, dude or dudette, okay? And just remember, you're being paid to do a job. And ultimately, you want to go home and see the green, green grass of home, right? Okay. So wrap it up for this one for now. And I want to thank you. Uh, thank you everyone for taking time out of your day or evening to listen to me talk about private security contracting OCONUS or overseas as well as my experiences as a private security contractor doing the same thing thank you again to Kava Cohen Colin Perry and Andres Rodriguez thank you to my wife my children and all the folks male and female who have been a part of and still are a part of my life remember folks it takes a team the grass is not always greener on the other side. So be careful what you wish for because you might just get it. Stay humble, stay safe, and keep others safe by staying frosty. And until next time, keep it real. Yeah.